All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you want to speak to us. You care for us. You love us. You want to speak life into us. You love us so much, Lord God, that you know when things just aren't right. And you want to help us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are worthy of praise. You're worthy to be sung to. You're worthy to have our devotion, our time, and our heart. And so, Lord, I pray that in this moment and in this time, may we give this to you. Open our ears, our hearts, our minds to you. And may you speak to us. We lift this to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So how many of you, I know there's some students here, how many of you are on uh, summer break? Are a few of you, are you, you, the rest of you, you poor people, you still have another week or so, two weeks? All right, two weeks. You're almost there. You're almost there. I loved summer break, right? When you're a student, didn't you love summer break, right? I, you know, I, I loved being with my school friends. That was great. There was some fun there, but I loved summer break. And one of the reasons why, I think, you know, looking back, especially in my growing up through high school years, one of the reasons why I loved summer break so much was, of course, you get to do what? Sleep in. Sleep in. I know some of you, maybe your parents, or maybe you do this to your own kids. I'm not speaking against this or not, but my mom usually, unless she was in a mood, let me sleep in. And I appreciated that. I tried to do that with my own, our own kids. You know, we, we tried to let them sleep in in the summertime. Because one of the things I appreciated the most about summer is because you slept in, and you know what? That was my time, my period of time to grow. I'm not talking spiritually. I'm not talking maturity. I'm talking actually physically growing, right? That was a time that I knew that's when I'm going to grow the most, you know? Uh, This may be a surprise to you. Maybe it's hard for you to believe, but I was not a tall kid. Thank you for not laughing too much. Uh, I was always one of the shortest kids in my class. And it wasn't great for the old self-esteem that most of the girls were taller than you, you know. So uh, when I got to high school, I appreciated the summer because, you know, I was able to physically grow. I grew like, you know, five inches in two years, you know, one summer about three or so inches. And so I, I got at least... Tall enough to be taller than most of my friends, you know, or, or who, who are my female friends, and, and other, I was around average height of some others, so that helped me a little bit, right? But I love that summer part because that's when you got to physically grow. Now, most people don't monitor, you know, if you remember your childhood, most people don't monitor when they grow. Maybe you did, maybe you're one of the per- people that you stood against the back wall and got a pencil and marked your growth, right? But most people, actually, when I grew up, I did that too. 
I, I, I'd mark with a pencil my, 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 my growth, you know? But most people don't do that, right? Most people on an average daily basis, they don't keep record of how they're changing. It just kind of happens, right? And the funny thing is, is like when you have a summer break, and then when school goes back, and then when you go see your friends or something, you look at them like, whoa, what happened to you? right? You're so much taller, or your face has changed, or, you know, is that like facial hair, you know, or your voice changes. That's always the fun part about going back to school, to see how people have changed. But so it's, it's interesting how change happens over the course of time. You're thinking, well, why are you talking about this? Well, we've all experienced this kind of change, right? Change that happens in us, and we can't really say that we were involved in it, but it just kind of happens over the course of time. Today we're going to look at two parables, short parables that Jesus taught, that speaks on the impact of God's Word. In Mark 4, we see that Jesus used parables to teach the people the value of receiving God's Word, And also responding to God's word. And now today we're going to look at how it impacts, the impact of God's word. What is the impact of God's word in us? We're going to see how our spiritual growth, our faith, the impact of God's word in our life can very much resemble our physical growth. Our spiritual growth, the growth of our faith, can resemble how we grow physically. So we're going to take a look at a passage in Mark 4. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 26. Okay? Mark 4, pick it up at verse 26. And he was saying, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil and goes to bed at night and gets up by day. And the seed sprouts up and grows. How he himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown, grown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. And with many such parables, he was speaking the word to them as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. We saw in the last two messages and here again in verse 37, Jesus, we see this emphasized that Jesus continued to teach the multitudes in parables. These, these stories or these analogies that have a, a mysterious meaning, a, a meaning more than just the story itself, the analogy itself. But to his followers, and particularly the disciples, he taught them the meaning privately. So he taught accordingly. For those who just came to hear, but they weren't really there to follow Jesus or listen, he gave them these parables. If you want to understand it, you'll want to seek the understanding. 
Those who were following Jesus and wanted to understand, he taught them the meaning. This parallels with what Jesus taught his disciples before he was crucified, before he ascended. Back in John 14, verse 16, this parallels a lot of what Jesus was teaching the disciples about the Holy Spirit. He said to them, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So he's talking to the disciples about the Holy Spirit. He said, when I leave, you will receive the Holy Spirit. He'll be there to help you and to teach you. And he says, the world does not behold him or know him. Those two words were behold him. It says, to, for careful observation, to look at with interest for a purpose, to perceive. He's saying the world does not look to behold him, to carefully observe, to look with interest, to truly understand. It doesn't try to behold him or know him. In other words, to learn to know, to get a knowledge to perceive. One of the things I realized about when I grew up and going to school, in high school, I tried to accumulate knowledge for a test, right? So I tried to memorize information. But I didn't necessarily try to learn to learn. I just, get, just try to remember information to pass a test. And then once that test was turned in, it's like you could have asked me a question on that test, I'd have no idea, right? We can all relate to that. Hopefully you don't experience that in finals, right? But when you learn to understand, you approach and say, I want to understand what this means. That shows a little bit more desire to understand something. So when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, he says, the world does not understand because the world does not want to know. Doesn't look to know. But you will know because the Holy Spirit abides with you. You desire to know. And I will teach you. You will understand. So we see parallel meanings. And what Jesus is talking about the parables is saying, those who want to hear will hear. Those who are trying to hear but they don't want to understand will always be hearing the parables. Okay? So Jesus here, he relates these two parables. And he starts off and says, to the kingdom of God. He's describing the kingdom of God. And whenever Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, there's a lot of things involved. When you look at you do a study about what Jesus says about the kingdom of God, he says a lot of things about the kingdom of God. He talks about how it's both the future and present reality. Right? It was something at the time when Jesus was talking about it's a future event that, that's going to take place, but yet at the same time, it's in the here and now. It's at hand. The kingdom of God is, was in their presence because Jesus was there. But at the same time, it was of a future kingdom to come as well. It was a reward for obedience and faithfulness. The kingdom of God was a reward for the condition of the heart. If you remember in the Beatitudes, the poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Righteousness sake. That's kind of hard to say. Righteousness, see, it's hard to say. For righteousness' sake, for you will inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is associated with righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness. 
The kingdom of God is for those who are born again. Born of water and spirit. The kingdom of God is something to be sought after like treasure. We should seek the kingdom of God like it's a treasure. I don't know what kind of treasures you you have sought after in your life. What you just desired more than anything. You are willing to go through anything to obtain these things. You say, seek the kingdom of God like it's a treasure. Value it like a treasure. At the same time, the kingdom of God is forbidden to the unrighteous and unfaithful. It's not just for everybody. He also talks about there will be a separation of the righteous from the unrighteous. And of course, when he talks about the kingdom of God, he uses parables. These parables talking about the nature of the kingdom. How the kingdom comes about. If you notice, the kingdom of God isn't established by a military operation. It's not spread militarily. You look at throughout human history, how many religions have, have used the guise of, of religion to advance whatever cause. If you know your history, there may have been moments, violent moments, that people have done things under the banner of the church. That was not spreading the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God wasn't spread. It, it doesn't spread. It doesn't grow militarily. It's established by the power of God's word. The power and response to God's word in the hearts of believers. So when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, this is a big picture. Very dynamic picture. So we see in these two parables today, Jesus teaches about the nature of the kingdom of God. He's describing the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God is like this. It's in this manner. So this first parable, Jesus speaks to the mysterious power and impact of the word. If you go back to the parable, he says the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night. And what the seed, what happens is it starts to grow, right? It grows within the soil. And then it sprouts up from the surface. And then you got the head and then it develops, right? And he says the soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So he uses this analogy of the mysterious wonder of how a plant grows to maturity and eventual production. Now, this reminds me, and I've shared this before with some groups, this reminds me of those science projects in, in elementary school. Do you remember those about learning about how plants grow? Each student gets a cup and some soil, same cup, same soil, each gets the same seed, you water it, and what do you do? You put it on the windowsill, right? And then you wait to see your plant to grow. Did you guys ever do that? Some of you, okay. It's kind of weird. I got the same cup, use the same soil, use the same water, put it on the windowsill next to my friends or whatever. Mine did not grow. It didn't grow. I have no idea why that happened. But he, Jesus uses this analogy that you plant it, and it just grows. You go tonight, the farmer or whoever it is that plants it, they, they go to sleep, and it just happens. 
To put another analogy, I think about a car. Most of us, I think all of us, except for maybe one person, drove a car here. Maybe you rode a bike, right? When you get a car, if you're driving a car, we push the pedal, we steer the wheel, we shift the gears ourselves, but we don't, we are not the power behind the car, right? We ourselves don't give the power in the car. We do those things, but the source of the power is the gas, or if you have an electric car, whatever, electricity, whatever it is, right? We are not the power. We do these things to enact the power or to let the power go, but we are not ourselves aren't the power. Now, I want to be clear. I mentioned a lot about our reaction or our response to God's word and the choices we make. We make choices. We respond to God. But we are not the power that makes changes. We're not saved by our works. It's not our works that saves us. It's not the actions that we do in ourselves that makes the change. It is God. It's his Holy Spirit that makes the changes in our life. I kind of want to make that to be clear in our analogy, especially when I use this analogy of a car, right? We, make these, we do these actions, but we are not the power that makes the car go. Likewise, sometimes when we go in our faith, we sometimes try to approach it as when we do things, we are the power that creates the changes in our life. But it's God's word and his Holy Spirit that makes and and is the power that changes things. Going back to the car analogy, if we try to be the power of our change, I kind of think it's like we we have a car and we want to go somewhere with our car, but we try to push our car to that destination instead of driving it. That sounds ridiculous, right? Would that be kind of weird? You get a brand new car, and so you want to take that car to whatever destination, so what you do, you get it behind you, and you push it all the way there. Inch by inch and inch, you get to that destination. That's what it feels like sometimes when we try to be the power of the changes we need to make in life. When we try to be that power to make changes, it feels like we're trying to push a car. It's so slow, it's so frustrating. But we want to be clear, it's God's word, it's his Holy Spirit that brings change in our life. God's word is dynamic. I like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.20, For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. The Bible is more than just a book. His word changes lives. It causes growth. It causes production. God's word heals, it comforts, it restores people. The word and the Holy Spirit, it works hand in hand. And the power of the Holy Spirit working is what makes change in us. I want to go back to John 14, what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. He says, if anyone knows me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. We will abide with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So catch what Jesus is saying. If you love me, if you say you love me, you will keep my word. You will obey me. You will listen to what I'm saying. 
And my Father will love him, and we will come to him. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit will dwell with him. And he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. He goes on in verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. This passage is a great illustration of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit Spirit in unison. Working together, working in union. The word of the Father and the Son is the same. The Father and the Spirit and the Son abiding with those who belong to Christ. The Holy Spirit teaches the word of the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit bringing to remembrance all that Jesus taught the disciples. And that same Spirit teaches us. See what I'm saying? Going back to the science project. Can you tell this still bothers me to this day? If you look at the collection of cups... They all represent varying stages of growth, if you remember that, right? Mine didn't grow at all, I don't know what happened. But I was a little envious, a little jealous. I look over my friends, it's like a tree. You know, it's sprouting really high. Some, like the leaves, the little bud leaves have grown. I'm like, what's the deal with that? I don't know what happened. Maybe God just shone, shined light just on those cups. I think he did it so I can use that analogy today. That's what I'm going to say. But if you remember those things, if you look at the collection of cups, representing varying stages of growth, some grew taller, some grew faster than others. If you remember the, the parable of the surface and the seeds, the good soil, some produced 30, 60, and 100 fold in crops. Look what verse 28 says in Mark. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. That word by itself says moved by one's own impulse. In other words, automatically. The soil produces crops automatically. The farmer did not like do something to make it grow. Like when you have a sculpt, if any of you have sculpted anything, when you get the clay, you are physically forming the clay into something, right? The farmer is not doing that to the seed. The farmer is not doing something to cause the growth to happen in itself. It happens automatically, right? It does so because the good soil produces is such that it causes growth, but it grows to produce, to bear fruit, right? That's what verse 28 says, bearing fruit. That's the natural product of the believer, If you have Christ in your life, the natural product, what should happen automatically is that there's growth and there's fruit. There's production. That's the sign of a believer. Kind of think of yourselves as a cup on the windowsill for a second. Okay, We're all cups on the windowsill. Or maybe not that. Maybe think of us as we're all a garden, we're all some kind of tree. I don't know what kind of tree you'd be. Maybe you're an apple tree, an orange tree, guava tree, oak tree, 
elm tree, whatever fig tree, whatever kind of tree you want to be. If you could picture yourself that, what, is your, what do you look like? What does your tree look like? Has it broken surface yet? Are you just a stick? But you're a good stick. Has your, has your, your trunk of a tree grown some branches? Maybe there aren't any leaves yet. Maybe there are leaves. Maybe you got some fruit growing. Maybe you got some sweet oranges growing or guava trees or whatever. You know, if you've ever had a guava tree, God help you if you have a guava tree, man, because those produce like crazy. Right? We've had, we lived in houses where there's guava trees and that's all you smelled was the guava. We couldn't pick up the guava fast enough. Maybe you're one of those trees. God is just producing something in and it's just flourishing. Whatever it may be, what stages of growth are you at? How much fruit since you have come to faith has come about? How has God changed you? How have you been affected for Christ and by Christ? And I want you to understand there's not a question of time. There's not an issue of how long you've been a believer. I'm not asking that. Right, that answer to that question is not an issue of time. You could have been believing in Jesus for a long time, but have done little with your faith. Right? Or you could have been a believer yesterday, and you see the fruit. That answer to what that represents, what your tree looks like, is not an issue of time. How has God's word impacted your life? It's also not an issue of works either. It's not about all that you've done, all the deeds. You can do stuff. And you could, be, you could have been doing it for yourself. You could do very little. But what you do is impactful. There are many people who are limited. They're limited physically. They're limited to the things that they can do. And they feel like, oh, what can I do? At least I can do this. And if they do this for the Lord, they may not see the impact, but God does. They may not be able to control what happens, how it affects people's lives, but God can. See, God's, his, the effect of his word and his spirit on our life is not a question of time. It's not a question of the amount of things you can do. That power is not in your hands. See, what I want us to hear and to feel is the most right now is encouragement. I want you all to feel encouraged. I'm not here to make you feel guilty. Probably thinking, well, Pastor Mike, you know, you, Kind of failed at that. I'm feeling a little guilty right now. I want you to feel encouraged. Why do I say that? Because if you desire for God's word to impact your life, you will experience growth. You will experience changes in your life. Mostly that you won't even realize. If you're sitting here today and you say, God, I want your word to impact my life. God says, okay, hold on to your seat. Just as children and teenagers often grow in the summer, right, and you don't actually realize it, if you desire 
God's word, if you treasure God's word in your life, you're going to experience growth that you may not even realize. Sometimes we don't notice those changes, like I mentioned, right? Some of you are approaching summer, and you're going to change, and you're not even going to realize it. Right? You're going to be growing a little taller, maybe fill out a little bit, you know, you, you gain some little man muscles or something, you know. Your face changes, your voice changes, all that kind of stuff. And you're going to go on campus, and they're like, whoa, boy, you've changed. You're so tall. You ever have that happen? You know, your relative hasn't seen you in like a year or something, and you're like, oh, you grew so much. Same way spiritually. If you desire God's word, you treasure it in your heart, and your heart is such as, God, I want to experience your spirit to move in my heart and my life. On a daily basis, you may not realize the changes that are happening. Sometimes you do. Sometimes we do notice those changes, right? When we try to put on those pairs of pants, again, I'm being transparent with you all, right? You try to put on those clothes and they just don't fit like they used to. You notice, all right, I've changed. (laughs) Things don't fit the same way. Spiritually, it could be the same thing. You may have desired something that was sinful, desired something that you you knew you shouldn't happen, and then someone, for some reason, you realize, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be that way anymore. In fact, the things that I used to hear bothers me now. I don't know if you've had that experience. Growing up, when I was younger, I was used to be able to watch certain things, certain violent things, graphic things, and I'd be entertained by it. But I've got to be honest. Sometimes I see certain things, I can't watch it anymore. It bothers me more. Maybe I'm a little more sensitive, maybe because I'm older. I like to think it's because spiritually... Sometimes those changes are subtle that we don't realize. Sometimes it's very apparent to us. But I want us to understand the word of God is dynamic. Scripture is not just a collection of words, but it's living, it's active in our life. The Holy Spirit empowers and enacts that change in us. Second parable talks about the extent and the scope of change is beyond what we can expect. Look at verse 30. He says, And he said, How shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? What is the kingdom of God like? How shall we see the kingdom of God? It's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is small like all the other seeds, smaller than all the other seeds that are upon the soil, when it grows, it becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that birds can nest in it. So he's saying, think of it like a little seed. The size of the mustard seed is one of the smaller seeds known, but yet it can grow from six feet to 30 feet high and 30 feet wide. And there's around 40 different kinds of mustards. There's all different kinds of mustard seeds. And such a small seed can grow exceedingly beyond our expectation. What are we to take of this parable? God is saying his word, it can even start small, but yet can have an impact that exceeds beyond our expectation. Sometimes we see our limitations and we think, how can God do something with me? 
What can a, a small word, something that I say to a person, what difference can it make? Yet God says, just from something small, something huge develops. We see the extent and the scope of the power of God's word in this parable. It exceeds our expectations. And this is what makes him God, right? This is what makes him God. We think of what we can be limited, what we're limited to. What are my skills? What are my abilities? And that's all we think we can do. But God says, look, I could take something small, but do something great. One conversation can plant seeds of faith. You may think, well, what what good would it be if I just said Jesus loves you? Jesus cares for you. What small action? It's just going to be something small. But through that small thing, God can do so much, can change lives. It says the kingdom of God is the power of God's word transforming lives. It reconciles people to the Father. The kingdom of God is about the radical saving transformation of lives. When I thought about what happened this week and what's been happening I was thinking to myself, this is so needed today to understand. And this is so relevant to the problems that are going on today. You know, after looking at all the, the, when I heard the news, uh, I'm going to be honest, it's kind of hard to admit, but I'm going to say this. When I first heard the news, it was just kind of a generic, said there was a school shooting. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's terrible. But I didn't really look into it much. Because I thought, you know, it's kind of, I'm like, oh, here's another incident again. Then I went back to look and I heard, wait, what? 14. And I looked at the ages. What? Second to fourth graders potentially could be involved. Wait, what? And after going over and hearing the this, this story, and after, you know, with like the grieving and the disgusting evil, the thought came to mind as preparing the message and stuff like, what, how, this is the world, what the world needs to hear. That God's word is transformational. People need to hear the kingdom of God. You know, listening to the news and all the talk about what laws should be changed, what safety measures could be changed, and yes, you know what? There can be some laws that can be changed to help minimize this from happening. Maybe some safety procedures, safety policies should be instituted more so so to, to help prevent these things from happening. But those things don't change the condition of the heart. I'm going to quote one of my favorite music artists. His name's NF. The kids are going to laugh at me for saying this. This musical artist named NF, in his song, Oh Lord, he has this line. He says, everybody wants change. Don't nobody want to change, though. Uh, that's so true. Right? Everybody wants change. But no one wants to change in their heart. God's word is dynamic. God's word, he wants to tell us, look, 
God's word wants to tell that young man who committed this crime, you mean something. You have value and worth. You do not have to do this. You can experience love. What message for this young generation that God says, look, you are loved. You are meaningful. You have worth. You do not have to be this way. You do not have to do these things. How many adults grew up with this message and they still in today are seeking value and worth and love and meaning and all those things? The word of God changes us in ways that we won't realize. I want to, I want to end with this and I want to encourage you all. I want to encourage you that if Christ is your Savior and Lord, God is working in your heart. You may have been fighting it. You may have been resisting it. You may have been distracting those rocks and thorns that we talked about in the last couple sermons. Those things are preventing growth from happening. But God wants to change your life and transform your heart and heal your heart. If you have anger, if you have resentment, you have bitterness, you have, you've gone through tragedy, all these things that we may have hindered us in our life, God says, look, I want to work in your heart. I want to encourage you to be patient because God is patient with you. Be patient. You may not be the, the budding cup that has the, the plant growing, the leaves are blooming, But God will work in you. Trust Him. Treasure His Word. Allow His Holy Spirit to work in your heart. And you'll see that change. You'll see that growth. You'll see that healing. We may not all produce the same. We may not all do the same things. It's okay. Let God be the power that changes and transforms your heart and your life. If you know someone you've been trying to share the gospel with, and you've been like pulling out your hair, just be faithful to his word. It could be simple. It could be a long conversation, whatever it is. Say, God, may you be the power in these words I share, and let you do it. May you do the work. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. And Lord, we just... We see what's going on around us, Lord. The world needs you. There's people in this room who needs to hear your word. We know people in our lives that need to hear your word. Help us, Lord God, to desire it, treasure it, value it, hunger for it, thirst for it. 
May our heart's desire be that, Lord, we want your word, your Holy Spirit to transform us. We want your word and Holy Spirit to heal us, to repair what has been broken, what's hurting, what's screaming out. May we respond to your word, Lord, because you are the power that causes the growth and the healing. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, let's worship together.